Hello gang, Bill Creasy here with the second Holy Week podcast. I'm a little bit late recording this because I sat down on Tuesday morning to begin the recording only to be stopped dead in my tracks with the news that Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris was on fire. Now, I've been to Paris many times, and it's truly the most beautiful city in the entire world. Notre Dame is the jewel in the crown of Paris. The absolute apex of Gothic architecture, Notre Dame is a symphony of stone and light. Once inside, it takes your breath away. Built between 1160 and 1260, Notre Dame is absolutely stunning. I watched in tears as the great 19th century spire fell and the roof collapsed, its nearly thousand-year-old oak timbers in ashes. Flames licked the night. Fortunately, Many of the irreplaceable artworks had been removed during the cathedral's ongoing renovation, and the most precious relics had been stored off-site. I was concerned about the stained-glass windows, especially Notre Dame's three enormous rosette windows. They were spared, but many of the smaller windows were lost. The great 7,800 pipe organ seems to have escaped destruction too, although it will take time to determine the extent of any damage that it suffered. Notre Dame is on a small island in the middle of the Seine River. In earlier days, the water current powered the bellows that gave the organ its voice. Up until the invention of the mechanical telephone exchange system in the late 19th century, the great pipe organs of Europe were the most complex mechanical devices on the planet. Johann Sebastian Bach is known today as one of history's greatest composers. Hey, he's one of the three killer bees, Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. But in his own day, in the 17th and 18th centuries, Bach was famous as an organ builder and organist. The organ at Notre Dame is a masterpiece. When played, it absolutely thunders. The cathedral itself serves as an acoustical box for the organ. Sitting inside during an organ recital, you could actually feel the music. The walls and the floor of the cathedral literally vibrated. It was quite a thrill. Hey, please join me in prayer for the people of Paris as they deal with this terrible loss. Notre Dame will be rebuilt, as it was originally built, to the glory of God and of Our Lady, whose name the cathedral bears. Now, on to our Holy Week podcast, which I've titled, Close Encounters. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, he was greeted by cheering crowds proclaiming him king, much to the chagrin of the Jewish religious leaders, Pontius Pilate and the 10th Roman Legion, who had taken up residence in the Antonia Fortress to control the crowds during Passover, a time when the normal population of Jerusalem swelled from 100,000 to over a million people. During Jesus' day, 
Jewish unrest was rampant, with incipient rebellions springing up like brush fires all throughout Palestine. The northern territory of Galilee, Jesus' home, was a hotbed of radical thought and revolutionary movements. Jesus entering Jerusalem on Passover AD 32 with a million disgruntled Jews in town and the crowds loudly proclaiming him king was more than volatile. And then Jesus, with a whip in hand, went immediately to the street parallel to the western wall where the vendors and money changers had their shops, and he began overturning tables, the tables of the money changers and the merchants, and throwing people out and shouting, You have turned my father's house into a den of thieves! And then he left, spending the night in Bethany, doubtless at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his friends. The Jewish religious leaders must have been shocked and outraged. The Romans, stationed at the Antonio Fortress, went on high alert. And then the next morning, Monday, he came back. Huh, what chutzpah! And here is where we pick up the story. I'm reading to you from Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. The chief priests and the elders put a delegation together to go down and confront Jesus at the southern steps where he was teaching. And they said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? In other words, just who do you think you are coming in here and making such a commotion and wrecking things and turning tables over? Jesus replied, No, I'll ask you a question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? Well, that stumped them. They looked at one another. They discussed it among themselves and they said, If we say from heaven, he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, well, we're afraid of the people because John the Baptist was enormously popular among the people. They'll, they hold that he was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, yeah, I didn't think so. Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And then he turned his back on the religious leaders and he's, he's engaging the crowd once again. Now picture that scene. The religious leaders standing right up in the foreground, a huge crowd of people at the southern steps, and Jesus playing them against each other. He said to the crowd, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Now which of the two did what his father wanted? And the crowd piped up 
the first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Not you, the crowd, but he pointed to the religious leaders. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you didn't repent and believe in him. Well, that is a scathing indictment of the religious leaders, and the crowds are cheering Jesus on. You can just imagine it. Then he said to the people, Let me tell you another parable. There was a landowner who plant, planted a vineyard. He put a wall, a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Well, the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the very same way. And last of all, he sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said. And when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, Ha ha, this is the heir. Let's kill him and we'll take the inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he'll do to those tenants? And the crowd replied, Oh, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who'll give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in his eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, and he points at the religious leaders again, and given to a people who will produce fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Well, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they knew he was talking about them, and so did the crowd, and the crowd is cheering Jesus on and high-fiving one another, you can imagine. The religious leaders were afraid because of the crowd. The people believed Jesus was a prophet. Why, he is enormously popular at this point. Well, Jesus spoke to them again. He said, let me tell you another parable. The kingdom of God is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. Then he sent some more servants, and he said, tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen, the fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his field, another to his business, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. 
the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, can you just imagine as Jesus is telling this story, he's playing the crowd and he's pointing at the religious leaders. They know he's talking about them. The religious leaders do. And then he said to the servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not come. Go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all the people who they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get here without wedding clothes? Well, the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Go out onto the highways and the byways and bring them in, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, everybody. But some, like the religious leaders, snuck in. They wanted to see what was happening. And they were thrown out. And then one of the Pharisees, and I'll bet anything, this was one of the religious leaders sent down to confront Jesus. The crowds were cheering him on. They were with him the whole way. And the crowds are getting bigger. And one, one of the Pharisees, the most clever of them all, went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They can't arrest Jesus. That would trigger a riot. But they can discredit him in the eyes of the people. So they sent their disciples to him with the Herodians. What a combination that is. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Why, you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. That's obvious in the way you disrespect us. So tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, that's a really important question. I mentioned earlier the revolutionary movements up in Galilee. But when Galilee became a Roman province, they took a census. We read about it in Luke. At the time of Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus in Rome issued the order that a census be taken. And why? To count the people to determine the tax base. Well, that didn't go over well in Galilee. There was one rebellion after another. And a man named Judas, we read about him in the Acts of the Apostles, led a rebellion and said, we are not paying taxes to Rome. And if any Jew in Galilee pays taxes to Rome, he will be killed and his house burnt to the ground. Well, this went on from the time of Jesus' youth all the way up until this very day. It was a big issue. Do we pay taxes to Rome or not? And there was a strong movement, a Tea Party movement, if you will. We are not paying taxes to the occupying forces. It's a volatile subject. Well, Jesus knew their evil intent. And he said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? 
show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is on this? Whose inscription? So Jesus said to the religious leaders, show me a coin. And the man who asked the question flipped a coin to him. Jesus caught it in the air and he held it up, showing it to the crowd. Whose picture is on it? The crowd shouted, Caesar's. And then he said to them, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And he flipped the coin back to the man who tossed it to him. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left and they went away. Do you see what just happened here? If you were living in Galilee and you came to Jerusalem for Passover AD 32, you would buy your Passover lamb. You would buy the lamb from one of the vendors along the western wall. But what happens to the price of lambs when suddenly demand increases tenfold? The price goes up, of course. And when you went to pay for that lamb, you would use the money in your pocket, which is Roman money. But you couldn't use Roman money in the temple precincts because it had Caesar's picture on it and it would desecrate the temple. So before you could buy your lamb, you had to exchange your Roman money for temple shekels. And what happened to the exchange rate? When demand increased tenfold, the exchange rate went up. That's what Jesus meant. And I mentioned this in the last podcast. That's why Jesus went to the money changers and the merchants and said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. That's what he was talking about. So what did he just do? He flipped the coin back to the religious leader who threw it to him. And everyone in that crowd, all of whom had exchanged their Roman money for temple shekels and paid the exorbitant exchange rate, the religious leaders themselves were walking around in the temple precincts with Roman money in their pockets. Oh, the rules didn't apply to them, did they? It's like Congress today passing laws affecting you and me and exempting themselves. This was a scathing indictment of the religious leaders. Well, day by day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the escalations continued. We finally get to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Jesus said to the crowds, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and of course he gestures to the crowds and to the religious leaders who are confronting him, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. Now, can't you just see the religious leaders all nodding their heads? That's right, with stern looks on their faces. You must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie heavy loads and put them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them. Oh, they're helpful people, aren't they? Everything they do, and Jesus points his finger at the religious leaders, is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide, the tassels on their garments long. Oh, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and have men say, Oh, Rabbi, how nice to see you. 
but you, you, my friends, the crowd, are not to be called rabbi. You have one master, and you are all brothers. And you are not to call anyone on earth father. You have one father, God, who is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, me. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself, like they do, the religious leaders, will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then he turns to the religious leaders, and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You, you, you yourselves enter. No, nor will you enter, nor will you let others enter who try to get in. Oh, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides, you say. If anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if he swears by the gold of the temple, oh, that's important. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Oh, you look at the tiny little details of the law and you are, you are meticulous about them, but you miss the picture, the big picture, the things that count. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. And Jesus points east to the Mount of Olives, which is a big cemetery. It looks beautiful on the outside, but inside it's full of dead men's bones and everything putrid. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs to the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, well, if we had lived during the time of our forefathers, we would not have been taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Huh. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape going to hell? Now, pause here for a moment. Can you imagine the reaction on the faces of the religious leaders? They are livid. And the crowd, oh, the crowd's cheering him on. But as he goes through these seven woes, I think things begin to get a little silent. He is treading on very dangerous ground. And here it is. Thursday of Holy Week. At this point, Jesus turns and storms off. He walks up the Mount of Olives, leaving the crowd stunned in silence. What will the religious leaders do? Every day during Holy Week, Jesus has upped the ante. Every day during Holy Week, he's become more aggressive with the religious leaders. Notice, it has nothing to do with the Romans. The Romans are a side issue. 
the religious leaders are the main issue. What will happen the next day? Well, we find that Thursday night, at the celebration of the Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's arrested, he's taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, he's interrogated, he's turned over to Pontius Pilate, and the drama begins. Jesus' trial, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. So every day, every day during Holy Week, Jesus has upped the ante. And honestly, it's as if Jesus and the religious leaders are standing in a room up to their knees in gasoline, each holding a lit match. This is volatile. There could very well be a massive riot in Jerusalem triggered by Jesus himself. So what will happen? Now that's the subject of the next podcast. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye now.